as Jean and I worship last Sunday, we tried not to compare that choir with our choir. Uh, the others suffer by comparison, and that's not a Christian uh, attitude. It's wonderful to hear them. About every five or six years, I have chosen to take the liberty of delivering a different kind of sermon, call it the state of the church and the preacher perhaps, but I have chosen to call it the confessions of a seven-year man. I first delivered the confessions of a first-year man in response to the rumor that the new preacher at First Church would be an interim pastor at best. You remember I confided some five years ago that I had, after a brief uh, association with the people in this church, decided that I would be an interim pastor. I proposed to be a 24-year interim pastor. <laughs> well, I want to pick up a little bit on the confessions of uh, the pastor uh, as he begins his seventh year. Today is a very special day for me as it marks the beginning of the seventh year, an anniversary of kind uh, which I cherish as I think about all that you and I have shared as a pastor and as a people, and as I anticipate the rich experiences that will be ours in the years to come. I'm mindful, as I'm sure you are, and as we speak of seven, that that is, uh, for the Hebrew, the perfect number. I am, therefore, anticipating that this year will be, for all of us, one of the finest, the greatest years we have ever experienced in the life of this church. I come to this moment more certain than I have ever been that I am in the place where God wants me to be and that I am inadequate for the task to which I have been called. And so long as I remember my inadequacy and so long as my people support me with their prayers, then glorious things are going to continue to happen in the life of this church. I remember the story of the students who visited Dr. Charles Spurgeon in his wonderful church one Sunday. They came to hear that great proclaimer of the word. They came early to get a good seat at the principal service of worship. The, a man came in as they sat there. The students didn't know it, but it was Dr. Spurgeon himself. And he asked the young people if they would like to see the heating apparatus for that huge sanctuary in which they were gathering. The students thought, well, we may as well, since we still have some 30 minutes before uh, church time. So the pastor took them downstairs beneath the sanctuary where our fellowship hall used to be and opened the door of the room and showed them several hundred parishioners on their knees praying for their pastor and the services of the day. Here, he said, is the heating apparatus for our church. I knew that better in my seventh year, even 
than on the first Sunday when I tried to find enough moisture in my mouth to say a word to you. I understand that better and know how totally dependent I am upon those prayers. Like Paul, I can say, as he declared in this glorious doxology at the end of this third chapter, that there is glory in the church for Jesus' sake. We don't always uh, feel the glory. Oftentimes we have hard and difficult times, both of us, not just the laity, but, but pastors as well. I shared with several of you the other morning uh, one su such experience in my life. You know, there appears to be a lot of glamour about getting onto an airplane and flying off somewhere to preach to several hundred uh, preachers and all at these annual conferences. One of the great joys and, and open doors that God has given me is the privilege of doing that. And I told the group how a few days ago, in fact, on Monday, Memorial Day, I, I flew off to Alabama to Montgomery to preach to the pastors and laity in Alabama and West Florida. They took me out. I got there about 10 o'clock. They took me out to a motel at the end of the line out there. I, I didn't realize it, but uh, when my driver dropped me off out there, I, I then realized the, the restaurant in the motel was closed. Now, they'd had lasagna on the airplane going over. And airplane food is questionable at its best, but lasagna, I couldn't even try it. I was afraid even to make an attempt. So it's 10 o'clock, and I'm kind of feeding off myself, and there's no restaurant at the, at the motel. And I, I look all over, and the restaurant next door is closed. And I ask the clerk, and she says it's three-quarters of a mile down the freeway, but you have to have a car because the restaurant's on the other side of the freeway, and you can't get over there without a car. I said, do you rent cars? And she said, no. I said, well, I got to get across that freeway. And so I, I hiked down the freeway and I, I ran across. They called me names while I ran across that freeway in my suit, my white shirt, my thin-soled shoes. I, I got me a bowl of soup. I felt I could sleep anyway. I, I got back and I, I did go to sleep. And, I, and the next morning, uh, the preachers were coming to pick me up to preach at the morning service. I jumped into the shower, the time was close. I, I came out, I towel dried my hair. Do you, do you know what hair looks like when you towel dry it? And then I, I opened my luggage and realized I'd left my comb. <laughs> now, I, I, I called that, that clerk, we had a new one now, and I said, I know you have combs available for your guests who forget theirs. said, no, sir, we don't. <laughs> I said, I, I know you have someone there who would, who would go get me one for a big tip. I got to have a comb. No, sir, we don't have anyone with my suit and my tie and, and now my Bible ready to go preach. I, I go down that same freeway. People are staring at me as they go by. And when I get to the convenience store, I don't just buy a comb, I buy a package of combs. And like a squirrel, I have put them in every corner of my luggage so that I will never 
be without a comb again as long as I travel. It, it wasn't over. I had been struggling about uh, uh, the closing illustration in my sermon to those preachers. I had finally decided on a certain illustration. When I got to the stage, the person who stood up to pray told that story. <laughs> now, things don't always go right. Everybody has bad days. It isn't glamorous. We all have a tough time. But the marvelous thing is, in spite of all the tough times, there is glory in the church as we see the work of Jesus Christ progressing. I see some glory in our pastoral care. Some people said, how many preachers, how many ministers does it take to have good pastoral care? And I say 13,600. The only effective, really effective pastoral care is when people are in ministry to and with each other, doing what our caregivers do as they go to nursing homes, to hospitals, to shut-ins, and as we adopt families from out of town who come here to hospitals and have no one at a very trying time in their lives. I wish you could read the letters I get from people who, who talk about the caregivers in this congregation. I get letters from people in other churches saying, our church is a small church, but I pray to God somehow we can learn to take care of people like I see the people in your church learning to do. We have to help and assist all of the ministers in our church. Every member is a minister. We have some of the finest pastors and, and diaconal ministers I have ever known. I need to tell you in their presence that wherever I go, when I visit people at the hospital or across this city, people are talking about the quality of the staff we have in this church. It is wonderful to see them as the extensions of my ministry. I told you about the adjustment I had to make when I came here. In my first church, I ran into trouble with my pastor parish relations committee. Didn't have but 69 members, and I was afraid they were going to move me after the first year. They called a meeting of the PPR committee, and after they met for a little while, they called me in to dress me down. I remember one gruff uh, brother said it best. He said, Preacher, we can't throw out the dishwater without hitting you. You got to let up on this visiting. You at our house all the time. I mean, when you only have 69 members, you can do that. But then coming to Houston and to a church like ours requires a tremendous adjustment. And the only way I can live with all of the needs of my people is to know that I have about me, as the extensions of my ministry, godly people who, through their own caring concern, demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ and the concern of the pastor of this church. We are now arranged and organized so that every active member of this church is going to have at least 
two pastoral calls every year. We'll call and have a, a telephone call, and we will say to every one of those members, if you want me to come in person, you tell me and I'll be there. We're going to take care of the membership of this church. I don't have any question about the dedication and loyalty of this group. Well, maybe a little bit. You know, Boyd Wagner's bothering me. <laughs> Boyd Wagner, we paid his way to England. We sent him over there with 45 of our young people. And do you know, he doesn't want to count that against his vacation time. <laughs> he, he really, we got a running argument about that thing. I said, boy, we paid you way. You got all those children to keep you company. What do you mean? That's a, that's a wonderful vacation. And he, he almost got red in the face with me. But as far as I know, that's the only problem we have of a continuing nature with this group. There's glory in the church in terms of our stewardship. Oh, I know we had a bad month in May and we had little notes in the notices of giving that Ms. Matthews mails out. I, I know that, but I also know the people of this church and I know if it's humanly possible, you're going to honor your commitments to the church. I've learned that in these years and I also know that for the first time as my pastor last year, you committed an amount of money that is sufficient to provide a program for all ages in this church and to provide for all of our benevolent giving all across the church. That marked a turning point. We turned the corner in our stewardship last year. Our operating budget will go up as we continue to grow. But our operating budget has taken those giant steps that we needed to get this church organized like a mighty army for God and to get a program in place for our smallest children and for our senior adults. We have those programs in place. And if you could see them, then you would be as thrilled as I. I went out Friday morning to talk with Tom Gaden and 35 staff members at the Quillian Memorial Center. You heard me. Out there, Kathy Brunn, our minister with children, has been working with them every morning. We have 350 children at the Quillian Center this summer. We have all kinds of things happening out there, but most significant for us, we are telling those young people about Jesus Christ. Because of, of your generosity, we're giving uh, scholarships to children over here in the fourth ward who would never have a chance to experience anything like that. And they're going to our church center. Uh, we're letting a Filipino congregation start its church by using the Quillian Center on Sunday morning. When they get their building launched, we'll start another church. When I spent that night in, in the streets on January 1st of this year, dramatizing the needs of the homeless, I, we didn't visit a single agency that did not receive help.
from the First United Methodist Church. We touch every hurt about which we know in the life of this city. There is glory in the church in terms of the benevolence and the outreach of this church. There's glory in terms of our evangelism. We have more than 700 active volunteers in that work area. People who know that if they don't bring a visitor to church, if they don't invite someone to their church, it's a lost week. It's a lost week if they don't bring them. We are reaching out to people all across the city, and God is honoring that effort. I told those volunteers about a testimony I read in Time magazine. A man was talking about his church and why his church died. The man said, I think the members of our church had a kind of white glove mentality. We just didn't want to reach out for people everywhere. Kind of like that car wash I went through the other day. Said, can't come through here if you have loose chrome, loose muffler, uh, loose this, loose that. In other words, it said at the bottom, your car has to be in good shape uh, to get cleaned up here. Our church has always reached out. Our church includes people, all kinds of people. And that is a part of its greatness and its glory. There's glory too because we're making disciples of people. We aren't just adding numbers to our role. When people come forward today to join this church, there will be people to come and stand with them. And they will be their friends. They will teach them about this church, its ministries, its opportunities for service. Give every one of them a chance to become involved. These Barnabas people will stay with them as they are assimilated and oriented into the life of this church. And then finally, they will be turned over to the pastoral care group with David Snowden and the nurturing committee so that starting with this program, we will never, lose our people, but will stay with them and minister to them. My prayer is that together we can know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Jesus Christ. I remember that old song the children used to sing, He's so high you can't get over Him. He's so low you can't get under Him. He's so wide you can't get around Him. You've got to come in at the door. We live in a time when people seem to be trying to amalgamate all the religions. I read an article the other day saying all these people come into our country and we're glad to have them, our doors are open. And they said they serve the same God so we walk as brothers and sisters. But I want to tell you while we walk together with respect and charity and with love we have a mystery in Jesus Christ to declare to the whole world. We owe everyone the message of redemption in Jesus Christ. And our church is making that love known. I come back home with a rededication. Thomas Wolfe said, you can't go home. But I know you can sanctify your memories. 
Last Sunday morning, Jean and I sat on the back row of the church where we met when she was in the eighth grade and I was in the ninth. We sat on that back row, and just as I did then, I wrote her a note, just one note. We sat beneath the window, given in memory of my great-grandfather and grandmother, James and Elizabeth Henson. I'd gone out to his grave, an abandoned cemetery now. I went out there in the country, and I found it. And I pulled the vines off the marker so I could read his name. We stopped through North Florida, did the same thing at my great-grandmother and grandfather's grave there in the land which they had given for the little church beside which their bodies sleep this day. And all around them, I, I saw uh, that old-fashioned uh, statement we used to put on our grave markers, asleep in Jesus, asleep in Jesus. Now, Paul says glory to all the generations. And I thought, sure, we have to live in Jesus, but I came home determined that I would not only live for him, but when I die, I want to be asleep in Jesus. I want to be closer. I want to be more completely his. When they mocked Woodrow Wilson about his concept of the League of Nations, and when they taunted him, saying, How does it make you feel to see it failing? Wilson said, I would rather fail at something that will ultimately succeed than succeed at something that will ultimately fail. We are here to realize the eternal purposes of God as they have been revealed in Jesus Christ. And we are here to let His glory shine through His church. Will you let him shine in your life? Will you join your pastor in a rededication of life to our God and to his church? When you stand today, I don't want you to stand because we always stand for the last hymn. I want your standing to be a way of saying, I rededicate myself. And if you want to come to the altar and say that publicly, wonderful. If you want to join this great church today and be a part of our endeavor for Christ in this place. This is the time to come forward. We're going to stand and sing that old great marching hymn of the church, Onward Christian Soldiers.